Welcome to the Doctor Who podcast's adaption of the popular Dickensian classic A Christmas Carol, during which time we'll feature appearances from the ghost of Doctor's past, <laughs> and also the ghost of Doctor's present, very strange, man falls out of box, and also ghosts of Doctor's future. Wow. Amy, Rory and new companion Tom. Trust me, you just never know what the future holds. Welcome to episode 56 of the Doctor Who podcast. Right. Right, okay. That's all the wrapping paper got out of the way. Um, I'm quite I'm quite surprised you actually managed to wrap chip quite so tightly, but hey. Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of the Doctor Who podcast. It's Boxing Day. It must be, because I've been let out of my box. Uh, and we're here to discuss A Christmas Carol, this year's Christmas special. And I'm joined, for the first time in a long time, by the quite capable James. Hello. Oh, I'm just looking over my shoulder to see who is quite capable, but uh, thank you for the compliment, Tom. Merry Christmas, belatedly. And a Merry Christmas to all of you out there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, wow, did, did you have a good holiday yesterday? Oh, fantastic, I have to say. It was really pleasant just to A, not go to work, and B, slowly count down the hours to watching the first episode or new episode of Doctor Who for what? Eight months? Oh, good Lord, yes. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, we'll, we'll come on to talking about that later on, but I've got to ask, did you get any Doctor Who-themed presents? Ah, uh, I did, I did. In a way, you know, it's it's a bit of a cop-out for my family because it's so easy to get something. <laughs> and, and and given the merchandise out there at the moment, there's always something that I don't have. But no, no Daleks this time. Okay. Um, but I did get a pair of Doctor Who socks. Cool. Which you'll be quite pleased to know, but I'm wearing them now. Cool. And and also a 2011 Doctor Who calendar, and we've got to make a decision now whether we actually put that up in the loft or whether we put it in the bathroom. Nice, 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 nice. How about you, Tom? Did you get another sonic screwdriver? Um, there are none left for me to get. Unfortunately. <laughs> oh, although no, that said, I think I'd love I'd love um, one of the pewter original ones from um, the Pertwee and Baker days. That um, there's a plastic ah. one that's out. Um, mm. But I'd like one of the one of the metal ones because they just look and feel so lovely and weighty. I got uh, a ticket to next year's Doctor Who experience, which I'm really really pleased with. Fantastic stuff! That's shaping up to look really really good now. Mm. So I'm quite jealous of you there. Well, on the plus side, <laughs> it means that we can definitely have a review and share it with people who may not be able to get along, which would be quite fun. Um, Absolutely. Uh, well, I've got some sort of some Matt Smithy trousers from my lovely partner. Um, <laughs> right, which is quite nice. <laughs> Um, did they come with some braces as well? Do you know, in fact, hang on, can you hear this? Yes, indeed, they did. <laughs> That's the sound of braces snapping, listeners. They are, we've, now, we've talked about socks, trousers and braces. I somehow think bow ties, jackets and shirts will also get into this podcast. Mm. <laughs> so. Oh, definitely, definitely. Especially given um, some of the stuff that was going on on screen yesterday, the bow ties mm. are definitely going to get a mention. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a really, truly, love, a truly lovely day. And, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm hoping that everybody who's uh, listening to the podcast had an equally happy holiday uh, for Christmas 2010. Right, mm. shall we shall we crack on? There was, some, there was something on TV yesterday, was it EastEnders? Oh, wasn't that something, I'll tell you. There, for some real drama, EastEnders is your guaranteed <laughs> depressing piece of television. You'd <laughs> see, <laughs> yeah. And my wife is watching it again now as I record downstairs. Wow, wow. <laughs> I didn't know EastEnders had any rewatch value, but apparently it does. Good God, just, just to make sure that everyone is thoroughly upset, perhaps. <laughs> Quite possibly. Amazing. But talking about something that absolutely categorically for me has oh, 
rewatch value in oodles. Mm. We're going to be talking about the Christmas special. Let's get on with it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, Tom, as this is their first Christmas special, and given you're by far the most eloquent and intelligent of reviewers on this show, I think I'll let you go first this year. Well, okay, I've got to say, I was privileged enough to watch this with uh, my eight-year-old nephew and a family uh, around the big TV after everyone had had dinner, so it's Prime's way to consume the show. And I've got to be honest, I didn't entirely understand it the first time round because I was a bit full of wine. Um, but I watched it again <laughs> this afternoon, and oh my God. God, it was fantastic! Absolutely gorgeous. Hmm. Um, I've been reading some. I've been, re- been reading reviews and sort of canvassing opinion. And one of the things that came through was a lovely quote, which said that this is what you get when you put a watchmaker in charge of a toy factory. Um, and I think it was intended <laughs> to be quite scathing. But the immediate response was, "Yes, you get toys that work beautifully," and that's exactly what this was. In terms of family TV, it scored. It pressed all of the buttons. It was emotive. It was imaginative. It was a little confusing to me. But I've got to say, to an eight-year-old, he was, you know, he was asked immediately as the credits were rolling, "What did you think of that?" And said, that was great. It was brilliant. I loved it, and started reeling off the bits that he loved. So, although I may have found it a little bit confusing, that's probably down to the uh, the, the grape growers of Bordeaux. But but aside from that, no, it was wonderful. I didn't realise how gorgeous Catherine Jenkins is. Not too sure about um, Amy and Rory. But um, mm, mm. in terms of Matt Smith, great performance. Michael Gambon just walked away with the whole damn thing. And no, in terms of marks, I would give it an eight. I would have given it a nine if uh, if there'd been less Amy and Rory, if I'm totally honest. But no, that was a great Christmas special. And I'll go as far as to say, actually slightly better than the Christmas Invasion. So yes, I, I really loved that. Let's, let's get into pulling it apart. But before we do, what did you think? Oh, I, I think, to be honest, Tom, for once, I don't think there's much that I can disagree with you uh, about. So I'm, I'm, I'm completely supportive of your view that Amy and Rory diluted uh, this, this episode because it was by far and away one of the strongest Doctor stories that we've seen in a very, very long time. Mm. We saw the Doctor make a decision to get involved in someone's personal history without so much as a second thought mm. and he was in charge of the way this story panned out right from the opening and I think Amy and Rory just didn't really fit in with this story which was all the more strange really because Arthur Darville actually got a mention in the opening credits as well mm-hmm. uh, this time round and given that I don't think he's actually featured in an episode of Doctor Who less <laughs> then it did seem a bit of a strange choice uh, to, to, to give him an on-screen credit right up front mm. but I, I found it absolutely awe-inspiring quite honestly mm. um, I'll, I'll certainly go along with you in terms of didn't follow the plot uh, as, as well as I should have done mm. uh, and I still have only seen it once but I, I certainly got the gist of it and uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to going back and watch this one all over again mm. um, but the thing I think the one word if I'm looking for one particular word to describe it mm. and there's only one that I can come up with, and that's just atmosphere. Um, yeah. It had defined, Moffat-flavoured, dripping atmosphere from the opening credits right through to the closing credits. Mm. It was it was almost a tribute to Tim Burton in every possible way. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with you and Trev nine, ten months ago and reviewing The Eleventh Hour. I think prior to that, we talked about the trailer for Series 5. Mm. 
and saying how fairy tale it felt and how um, Tim Burton it felt, mm. and this this was this was that in droves. I mean, I can't really use enough words to say how how much it kind of hit me. It was gothic, it was atmospheric, the smoke was fantastic, it was kind of steampunky. Mm. It was Doctor Who, but not as you know it. And particularly, mm-hmm. given it was a Christmas episode, um, Russell T Davies must have been watching that thinking, well, I never thought of doing it that way, ever. And, you know, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Even though we know the story, I mean, it's, it's, the, it's the mark of a good writer to tell an old story in a new way and extremely well, I thought. Um, uh, absolutely. One of the things that did strike me look, looking at it, though, was is how well colours are manipulated to tell you what's going on. Obviously, the music is wonderful and emotive. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But it, it also strikes me that essentially this Doctor Who or, the, or this episode was really black, blue, and grey, uh, except for the old flashes of uh, the old flashes of green and yellow and red. <laughs> yeah, and and again, you think of something like the very first couple of Batman films, mm. and it was the same kind of stuff. Mm. It was it was really dark. It was quite drab, I think, in places. Mm. But it just kind of hit you. Um, you didn't have to rely solely on the story, which was very strong anyway. And I, I think all of my fears, certainly, about another adaption of A Christmas Carol completely went because it was so loosely based on that story. It was just there. It wasn't a kind of excuse not to come up with something original. Mm. It was putting an extremely unique twist on the bare bones of Charles Dickens' story, and I, I just thought it was absolutely brilliant. But I, I could continue spewing cliches almost about how good it was, um, but there are a few specifics that I'd um, I'd, I'd certainly like to mention. And uh, we've talked about Amy and Rory already, yeah. and um, I don't know how whether I mean, do you feel that they were out of place? Do you feel that they were superfluous in this particular story? Um, I see why they needed to be where they were. There's there's something slightly larger going on which I think is quite nice. I, I like the way I like the way that Eleven seems to be Doctor Cupid, um, because they, 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 <laughs> because Amy and Roy were pl- clearly playing some sort of game on their on a honeymoon. Um, yes. Um, but then you've got, but then you've got the relationship that the Doctor is encouraging between Kazran and Abby as well. So I think I, I, I quite mm. I quite like the way he's playing matchmaker through all of that stuff. Um, I see why Roy, Amy and Roy needed to be where they were. But right. I'm not overly keen on the character of Amy. Still not. Although she does seem to have realised who she's in love with, which is uh, which was very subtly and nicely illustrated by the way that she absolutely kissed Rory um, mm. and just gave the doctor a nice big hug in a kind of vaguely embarrassed way at the end. So that that was quite nice. Mind you, also inside that, it's nice to see the doctor returning to be being someone who's a little androgynous, not androgynous, who's asexual. Uh, and, yeah. and a bit awkward around women. I mean, I think there was lots of there were lots of subtle little things going on with all of the characterizations in there that only really show up under a second, maybe even a third watch. I'm not sure about having a third watch of it just yet. Yeah, I mean, one one thing that I thought of this time round, mm. and it, it didn't come into my mind when I last saw Amy and Rory in costume, so to speak. Mm. But um, do you follow any Fulton horses by any chance, Tom? <laughs> <laughs> now the moment you just said that, it's, it's, it's just clicked for me. It's twigged. Mm, yeah, I know, and I hadn't thought of that. And of course, you know, Amy has been in a policewoman's outfit before. Mm-hmm. Rory has been in a Roman centurion's outfit before. Yeah. And of course, the only thing that reminded me of this was a rerun of that particular episode of Only Fools and Horses with Rodney in a centurion's outfit and Cassandra in a policewoman's outfit. That works for me. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, and um, I do think, apart from that analogy, I do think that particular 
part is is out of place in Doctor Who. And I know people are going to be going, oh no, we're going to have a another reference to the end of um, oh I've, the, the the Angels yeah. story from season five again, where I had a big old rant about how out of place that was. But this is six o'clock. Mm. On BBC One, and the first thing we get is a kinky sex joke. Do you think? And no, I don't. I, no, okay, I, I didn't see any. I don't see that an eight-year-old's going to get it as that. No, it does. No, I agree. I don't think that they will, and uh, they'll just think they're they're dressing up for having a I don't know game of snakes and ladders or something. I suppose, but but even so, the illusion is there, and that's something <laughs> that. Mr. Davis never went anywhere near. Did he not? Um, though? Uh, Did he not? What about um, Love and Monsters with that with that strange way of having they had some sort of sex? <laughs> no, that's very true. That's very true. But I think generally it wasn't anywhere near as overt mm. as what we saw on screen yesterday evening. True. true. But um, but for me, I mean, I'm I'm nitpicking and I'm deliberately nitpicking, or else we're going to be sitting here for the next hour saying, "Oh yes, that was good. Oh yes, that was good." What I was kind of interested to see was whether or not this would be RTD-ish. And to be honest, we've only really seen Russell T. Davies' Christmas specials. Uh, what I noticed, or one of the things that's, that, that immediately came to mind, was that Russell T. Davies was very good at making popular culture references that stuck out mm. a mile. What I see with this particular story is that there were a good number of popular culture references, but they were really quite well uh, I won't say hidden, but they were very subtle. For instance, your point about the Only Fools and Horses reference is a good one. The one I think that most people would have got immediately was the Star Trek one. Uh, yes, right at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. You know, there was Geordie with his with his eyepiece uh, and so on. Got yeah. it written down on my notes: Geordie <laughs> eye patch in brackets. <laughs> yes, I'll tick that one off now. <laughs> that's good. That's cool. Um, and similar, but you know, but, but even inside that, although we, although we were watching uh, a rewrite of a Christmas Carol, there was also there were also many shades of great expectations going on in there uh, mm. with the growing up of young Kazran into old Kazran and of course plenty of internal references to old school Doctor Who I mean nobody could have failed to see the scarves the reference to ice to isomorphic controls made yes. me smile as well I found that quite rewarding for anyone who who who, uh, who who maybe missed the reference, although you're listening to a Doctor Who podcast, so you probably got the reference <laughs> exactly. When when the Doctor's talking to Kazran about isomorphic controls, um, that line first turns up in the Pyramids of Mars when the Doctor is mm. talking to Sutek. Now, in that story, in that old 70s story, the Doctor is not clearly lying, but is stringing the Asyrian God along. Uh, and so when, when he accuses Kazran of lying, uh, it's just referring back to one of his old personas and a line from a long time ago, which I think is a far nicer way uh, of rewarding long-term fans than perhaps just than putting up the faces of the old doctors which i think has been I overdone agree. a little bit in the last in the last few years yeah i mean i think series 5 for stephen moffat was perhaps a little bit like letting um, a schoolboy loose in a toy shop and i think certainly in the first episode we got the big flashback sequence again of all uh, pre- all the previous doctors which was which was great but like you say it's been done several times and mm. we got it again and again and again in series 5 whereas i completely agree with you this this reference to pyramids of mars was so subtle mm. that anyone who hasn't seen any kind of classic doctor who or any doctor who pre 2005 they wouldn't have been missing out on anything they wouldn't have even noticed mm. and yet our, us fans are sitting there going ah did you spot that i spotted that and i think that <laughs> is something stephen moffat does and it certainly adds to his intelligent writer credentials mm. 
and something that Russell T Davies had, I believe, but he just chose the far less subtle way of um, of reminding us. And um, for me, I mean, you talked about references, and again, I don't really think this is a, a, a distinct hark back to classic Who, but for me, it felt very similar in tone to The Beast Below, uh, quite industrial. Uh, My link to Classic Who there is that I thought The Beast Below was very McCoy. Um, It felt like a professional version of Paradise Towers or um, The Happiness Patrol. And and that kind of atmosphere, I felt, is what Moffat achieved in this particular episode. Um, Not necessarily really overtly, but it was dark. And again, I, I could quite easily see... A manipulative McCoy. Mm. Um, now I know the Seventh Doctor's Machiavellian tendencies didn't come out until much later in his run, mm-hmm. but I thought it was a nice kind of blend of all things Seventh Doctor in an Eleventh Doctor story, mm. and mixed with his complete zaniness um, at the beginning of this episode, he was back to the kind of Doctor that we saw in the Lodger. Mm. And so for me, it was a kind of blend of Fourth Doctor, Eleventh Doctor, Seventh Doctor. And all of the good points of those respective eras rolled into something quite unique. And, uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed just the feel of this story. I was going to ask you, actually, how do you think the character of the Doctor is developing at the moment? It's, it's weird, because I don't think it's particularly linear. You can't say, this is where the 11th Doctor started, and he's developed in this direction Mm. and then compounded it's kind of as if he's jumping around Mm. and I think that's more realistic if you think of a normal person Mm -hmm. they tend to react a particular way depending on the circumstances they find themselves in and I think that this was a doctor who was kind of enjoying himself getting used to being the kind of person he is Mm. very similar to the doctor that we see in the lodger where he just turns up he's got a plan but he has to interact with people he doesn't know and he goes into hyper mode. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm not sure whether he's really developing because the next story we could see him in, he could suddenly go back to the way that he was within um, Time of Angels because River Song's there and he's a known quantity. Yeah. So he's much calmer. So that's a, that's a long answer to your question, but I do think he's developing. I think he's comfortable in his own... <laughs> comfortable in his own jacket, given the fact that he's changed it. Mm. But... Uh, yeah, I, I I think he's developing, and I'm becoming more comfortable with him. Okay, see, it's interesting you say that. I mean, Matt Smith seems to represent um, an element of. I know that the character of the Doctor is all about all about plurality anyway, because obviously he's the eleventh person to to be that character, uh, and as viewers, we just accept that. But I'm not sure I've seen so much plurality in a single portrayal of a doctor. <laughs> um, to be, obviously, act what actors do is to go from one mood to the next and do it in, in huge, great strokes so that an audience can understand what's going on. But even still, the, the, the pace of, at which Matt Smith is changing seems to be like a jump cut. Yeah, yes. in, a, in, a, in a modern in a modern movie, and that's not a bad thing, given that most um, what, what I call Generation Y these days, uh, most people have so much plurality in their lives. They are you know they are very different people in many different places at the same time, which yeah. which maybe is giving us a feel of of perhaps what it's like to be uh, the Doctor in that respect. I'm liking this Lemons Doctor very much. I'm not so keen on this thing where he where he uh, marries Marilyn Monroe and uh, Queen Elizabeth <laughs> I and uh, anyone he anyone he, t- he takes uh, a fancy to. Oh, I quite. I liked that. I've got to say, it kind, that, that was kind of um, for me Matt Smith's version of the car alarm on the TARDIS. Fair enough. You know, just a kind of throwaway silly line, purely there for laughs. And 
when he was running off back over the swimming pool, uh, looking very debonair, mm-hmm. I have to say. He was going, oh, Marilyn, Marilyn, you know. And for me, that just tickled my funny bone, as did the car alarm on Tenants Tardis. And <laughs> I know um, quite a lot of hardcore fans didn't share my view there, but I, I really liked it. But I, I think it's interesting hearing what you're saying when you're using the word plurality, which is a new word to me. Um, I, I would have said, are, are you trying to find a nice way to say that this guy's a little bit schizophrenic? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in, a, in a way which I think ch- chimes perfectly well with anybody who's under the age of 40, I'd say. These days, mm. um, because you know, for the you know, for the first time in reality, people would have to do something that the doctors have, the doctors have been doing for the last fifty years or thousand years, if you uh, want to take it that way, <laughs> um, which is to be different people in different places at the same time. I am on Facebook. I am on Gallifrey Base. I am in absolutely London, right. and so on and so yeah. forth. And I react and interact with different people in different ways, although I'm going forward in my own timeline. Um, which brings me rather neatly to. Well, there were two. There were lots of standout performances. I mean, this is what you really want in a Christmas special. But of the standout performances, I'd like I'd like to start talking about Michael Gambon. There's only so many words or superlatives that you can use, and this this particular actor is, I think, pretty much perfect um, in everything <laughs> I've seen him. He was, He's he was utterly convincing. <laughs> No, no, I mean, I, I'm quite happily, um, I'm sure somebody else could do a better job in saying how good he is than, than, than me, but I, I felt that given I had a fairly fixed idea of what this chap was going to be like, you know, he's going to be like Professor Dumbledore a little bit, it's certainly going to look like him, he's going to be a little bit like Scrooge, he's going to have to try and put a little bit of a novel spin on the character, which he did by descending sometimes into quite rough East End Cockney, you know. I mean, if I'd have got into his cab at night, I wouldn't have felt particularly safe. Mm. And he, he just kind of come up with a unique take on what people thought was going to be a traditional character, i.e. Scrooge. Mm-hmm. And for me, he, he just hit every single target in the bullseye. Brilliant. I think You know, I think you're right. I think it's also there's also an awful lot going on. Uh, there's a bit of metatextuality uh, meta going on with the with the actual history of Doctor Who as well throughout this. Clearly, you've got Michael Gambon being an excellent actor in portraying old or mature Kazran Sadik. Um, but I love that he portrayed his own father as well, hmm. which suggests to me this the idea of the child being the father of the man. And this uh, it's an incredible incredible way that the story just keeps rumbling on with the same face, which I took which I took as being uh, a reference. Back to Doctor Who. Um, yeah. I was very impressed by Lawrence Belcher, who played young Kazran. Mm. Uh, yeah, me too. And one thing that has been pretty prominent in Matt Smith's era so far mm. is absolutely stunning child actors. Mm. And uh, you, you look at Caitlin Blackwood, I think her name was, who mm-hmm. played the young Amy Pond, or Amelia Pond, as, as the younger version of that character appears to be, be, be called now. Mm. And it's not only how wonderful the portrayals are, it's the way the Eleventh Doctor seems to bond with children. Yes. And that, to me, is almost everything that Tom Baker wanted to achieve. Uh, when in, in his time as a Doctor, he said it's a kid's show. He was the Doctor outside of the television studio, and he was interacting with the fans as well. And yeah. um, Matt Smith, when you look at him at the proms, um, and you look at him yes. act with these very young actors, he's just got it, you know. He's, he's just got it. It's almost as if he doesn't have to put a great deal of effort into it, and that is not intended to be a slur. <laughs> it's intended no, to be a, a compliment. And, yeah, you're right. I think the performance from the children were fantastic, and I love the way the Doctor is 
just working so well with um, with these young actors. You're you're right. You know, I I think to, to widen this and to further enhance my monomania, um, <laughs> what I noticed in, the, in that, or what I'm picking up, the resonance I'm seeing is that. When the Doctor was talking to young Amy uh, and when the Doctor was talking to young Kazran, it seems to be uh, a reference to think the, the child being the father of the man. Um, yeah. In both cases, what you've got is the Doctor interacting with, with children or with people when they are children and having a profound effect on their lives, which yeah. I think, well, I think we could say that was certainly true of Stephen Moffat. I think we could certainly say that was true uh, of Russell T. Davis. So again, maybe I'm imposing that on the story, but I like it as a piece of storytelling because, well, here we are, um, you know, men in their 30s talking about this wonderful show, um, which, and I'll be honest, the, the greatest thing about it to me is that it's been given back to children mm. so that they can enjoy it in the way that in the way that I did when I was a child, and and of course, as soon as you give an idea to a child, it'll never die uh, because, yeah, because obviously, yeah. as they grow older, they, you know, they, they retell a story that they've hopefully enjoyed. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that certainly is 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 being carefully crafted. It's deliberate. I think this is all part of Moffat's vision of Doctor Who. When he took it from Russell T. Davies, it wasn't a case of right, how do I continue this? It was, I have a vision for Doctor Who. This is how I want the Doctor be to be seen and perceived. Mm-hmm. You know, in um, in not only fandom but in in, in general audience, and. He's done it. He's achieved it absolutely brilliantly. For me, he does it better than Russell T. Davis. Yes. He does it, certainly to use um, the word of uh, a certain podcaster, he does it in layers, and he does it <laughs> so very, very well uh, because you can appreciate his character in so many different ways. And um, I, I just think, you know, hats off to Moffat. I, I do wonder at times whether his version of Doctor Who is as accessible as Russell T Davis's though I have to say that much and the reason why I ask and I wanted to mention this and mm. I mean my my parents have been big Doctor Who fans they followed it all the way up to um Tom Baker regenerating into Peter Davison and they they kind of waned a little bit in their affection for the show from that point on but they still watched it mm. until I think Paradise Towers which is when they drew a line under it and said <laughs> no no more no more of this but they started watching it again in 2005 when it came back and I didn't believe that they would stick with it. I was surprised that they even videoed it, let alone watched it, but they did and they hadn't dropped it until the 11th hour. And the reason my mum gives, and she's approaching 60, no, she's over 60 now, okay. um, she, she said was, I don't like Matt Smith, I can't accept he's the Doctor. And my father, who usually finds any reason to disagree with my mother, agrees with her. Well, and they didn't see the latter half of Series 5 because they just lost interest and they weren't interested in yesterday's. Now, I realise a total of two is a pretty bad sample, <laughs> but I'm wondering whether or not that is true for the older Doctor Who fan. It's certainly not for me, but I, I wonder whether or not the 11th Doctor is hard to actually empathise with and enjoy as much as Eccleston or Tennant's interpretation. You make a very interesting point. <coughs> what I think is when you look at um, Doctors like Hartnell, Troughton and Pertwee, you've got old school uh, explorer figures. You've got a, a very easy central character to to identify with. Well, I, say, I say identify with, we're supposed to identify with the companions, but it's easy to mm. place the Doctor uh, in a pantheon of heroes. It's, it's, not, it's not difficult at all. Um, when, we, when we go through, say, uh, Tom Baker all the way up to I'd say all the way up to David Tennant actually again we've got effectively a student in space 
and you know, and their and their attitude is wonderful. They are playing with technology, but it's faintly industrial. So it comes from a time before the internet. Uh, is but is probably the easiest and safest thing I can say you know, without opening a particularly troublesome can of worms. When yeah. you get to Matt Smith, you've got the information age doctor, and he's younger and he's faster and he's different and he's a lot like how can I put it? He's a bit like a children's BBC presenter on speed. Was one of the <laughs> things that I've seen um, in a way that Tennant isn't. Tennant still belongs to the old guard, definitely, yeah. you know, very much. Yeah, so. yeah, but. Yeah. Matt Smith is a young man. Yes, he yes he does a fantastic job of playing an old man trapped in a young man's body, and there's a, some delicious melancholy going on there um, as he as as he looks at the inevitability of Abigail's death, which he obviously knew. I get, in fact, just on that point, actually, I get the feeling he knew all about how uh, inevitably it was that she was going to die, um, yes. and just accepted it. Well, are you going to tell me that you're going to die? Do you want me to pretend to work it out for you, and so on, and so on. Mm. Um, Mm. Which I think, which is a trait which I think joined him to all of the other doctors at that moment. I.e., I'm giving you the choice. I already know what you're going to do, but I'm giving you the choice to change things, to tell me something, so it's different, so it could be slightly different for you. Um, I, I love the idea that this doctor reta- retains that element of continuity in as much as there's always a choice and you should never give up. But in terms of identifying with that character, with the character, he's already. 12 years younger than I am, although he's a a good 900 years older, and he's talking to a demographic which is not mine. Doctor Who's now being made by people who are my age and younger. Um, The lead characters are younger than I am, and I've got a choice. I can either say, well, do you know what? It's a fairy story. Switch off, you know, suspend your disbelief and, and dive into it, which, as you know, is what I do. Or, as I occasionally do, lament the fact that actually... It's not being made for me anymore. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Which, which, I, which I think is possibly the case. I mean, I, I, my problem with Pertwee is that he represents an authoritarian. He's got a lot of a lot of authority in that I don't really like. I love Tom Baker because he's just absolutely from the time I was a child. Matt Smith is absolutely the right Doctor for now, but I am now of dad age. So <laughs> the thing that's being pushed towards me is Catherine Jenkins and uh, Karen Gillan. You know, I am the. Yes, yes, I know, and that's the one unsubtle element, though. Um, certainly to this story, it was uh, had very little of Karen Gillan in it, and what part she is in, or what scene she is in, had very little of her skirt in it as well. And <laughs> Catherine Jenkins, who I have to say I was pleasantly surprised by, and I thought she played her part extremely well, given it was her TV debut. It was great. Uh, was great, and of course her, her her voice as well was put to good use. Some oh. very good story. <laughs> Uh, plot point which I found worked very very well for me I didn't have any issues whatsoever with employing a, a, a singer <laughs> in in that particular role um, <laughs> like Kylie yeah. uh, well you see Kylie's a bit more than a singer isn't she she's a bit of an institution Kylie's there to pull in the fans because people like her for a number of different reasons Catherine Jenkins is absolutely nowhere near the, the achievements in terms of popularity and fame that Kylie mm. has has managed thus far. But, yeah, on the whole, I, I thought she was a uh, ex- extremely good addition to the cast. Yeah. Oh, OK, so direct question then. If you had to choose between the two characters, or at least the ability of the two actresses, given that they're both extremely good at what they do, um, <laughs> Kylie or Catherine? <laughs> what, to come back into Doctor Who, you mean? Well, just just, just marks, in terms of marks out of 10 on, on the job they did on the Christmas special. Oh, on their performances. Yeah. Oh, I would say Catherine Jenkins. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I think Kylie is an okay actress, but we have to remember that the reason she had the opportunity to get into things like that was, was through her phenomenal um, success as a, as a pop star, and yeah. she got that through 
quite a ropey um, soap opera yep. that she was in for a year and a bit, and she wasn't that convincing then. She just happened to strike a note with the female audience who were really watching um, Neighbours at the time. Mm. But mm. for me, Catherine Jenkins shows by far the most promise in terms of... Um, where she can go from here in terms of acting uh, ability. And if, if you need to be convinced of that point anymore, just um, listeners, just go out and watch Connie Minogue in The Delinquents, which was her first big screen appearance and was absolutely diabolical <laughs> in it. She um, couldn't convince anyone that she was brought into that part. It was absolutely atrocious. But um, mm. let's, let's not talk about Kylie. Let's talk about Flying Fishes. Right, yeah. Can you explain to me what the problem with that was? I've watched it twice now, and I just kind of accepted it. I loved it. I thought it was inspired. I thought it was... I've long been a critic of animals being used in Doctor Who for varying monsters, particularly in such a crude way um, Mm. that Russell T Davies did, let's say, in Gridlock, and say that, yes, at some points, cats interbreed with humans (laughs) and give birth to cute little kittens and then not explain it. It's just bonkers. In fact, there, there was a connection with Gridlock with this story, and yes. that was the World War One flying helmets <laughs> and goggles. And the singing and community, which I found quite tragic. Yeah, I, I, I just liked the fish. I, I thought they were great. I lo- the, the comparison I'd heard uh, from people who had been to see this episode at the BFI, I managed to see it two weeks in advance, was that with Jaws. Mm. And for me, that didn't register at all. Uh, I thought the CG was absolutely brilliant yep. they fitted in with the world that Moffat had created and that the production team had so successfully brought to the screen I've already uh, waxed lyrical about how good this particular episode looked mm. um, it was it was just brilliant and there was something kind of ethereal and you know just just brilliant I loved the fishes I loved the shark mm. uh, I loved the way that they combined the sonic screwdriver into um well into another plot device which was that large shark Mm. Um, and you actually had the sonic scroll driver being useful and used in an innovative plot way uh, as opposed to just being a um, you know a pick lock and a skeleton key yeah it was (laughs) brilliant yeah yeah magic wand but it was so much more this time and again i'm sorry i just i just believed it i thought it was great um i love the fishes and I, I just believed it. It wasn't ridiculous. It wasn't silly. It just worked for me. Do you know, one of the themes we've got going with this, uh, Moffat, uh, era Doctor Who, and I, and I think we're being played in a very long game here, I think, um, <laughs> is this idea of time being rewritten. Um, yes. I think, I, you know, you know that I think we, we, we're about to get something strange about the, about the regeneration of it, but... Um, what I found interesting were the subtle things. Mm. Like, um, did you notice that um, Kazran's bow tie changed after the Doctor started playing about in his past? I noticed that the character played with his bow tie, but I thought that was Kazran trying to be like the Doctor. Therefore, the reason he wore a bow tie was because he was copying the Doctor. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In one of the first few scenes, when uh, as they're <coughs> hiding in the cupboard, and the Doctor says, "Keep your eyes on the bow tie. Bow ties are cool," and so on and so forth. Um, in the in one in the shot before. Before, when we're looking at old Kazran, he's got that very elaborate Edwardian or Victorian necktie on. 
Um, and then as soon as the doctor said, yeah, keep an eye on the bow ties, trust me, etc., etc. Ah, right. We cut back to him, and he's wearing a bow tie, a full-on bow tie. <laughs> oh, I missed that, I missed that. I, I did see the character playing with a bow tie, but mm. yeah, I mean, I think I understood what point was trying to be made without actually following it on screen. But I think that happens on several occasions, I have to say. Um, I wasn't as topped up on wine as you were, Tom, but I was <laughs> extremely tired. Mm. Um, and I have to say, this is an episode of Doctor Who that I'm really, really really looking forward to sitting down once my daughter is in bed uh, with my wife who is yeah. far more observant than I am and just watching it again and I haven't had the inclination to do that following a Christmas special ever before well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what without wanting to, re- sp- to spoil it for you then watch out for uh, Danny Horn uh, who plays okay. a teenage caravan just yep. yep. watch the way he moves when they get when they're in the TARDIS, it's <laughs> even even through the Bordeaux-induced haze. What I noticed was how closely he was physically aping the Doctor in the way that a child who's got a hero uncle would do. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't pick up on that, or certainly not consciously, anyway. But um, I think one of the major parts of this story was that Kazran modelled himself and idolised the Doctor for a long time, mm. until of course he realised that the Doctor is not in control of everything, and sometimes the Doctor gives off the impression um, that he knows everything, he's in control of everything, and I think occasionally people who come across his path realise that he could be dangerous, oh, and that you. was articulated last time, I think, oh, I can't remember which character it was now, it might have been Rory actually, in the Silurian two-parter, mm. said, you, or it could have been the vampires, I, I, I can't remember, said that you make people dangerous, you make people want to impress you and put themselves in danger. That's why it was and Rory. I think yeah. It was Rory, was it? Yeah. And Kazran, the teenage Kazran, realised that the Doctor wasn't in control completely when Abigail told him that she was going to die soon. And clearly the Doctor didn't know this. Kazran realised it and suddenly lost a lot of confidence Mm -hmm. in the Doctor. And again, the brilliance in the writing is that the Doctor had absolutely no idea what was going on. Do you know, I'm also liking this... I've mentioned it already before in the podcast, but I'm really liking this aching sadness... (laughs) <laughs> that the old man's got just knowing it, it, it seems that he he knows that what, he it seems that he knows what's going to happen, but the joy is trying to see if it can make it come out in any, any other way. Um, yeah, and I prefer the yeah. idea of well, trying to make it something different rather than thinking oh, I have the right to make it different, as uh, the crazy number ten said in the waters yes. of Mars. But uh... <laughs> absolutely no. Well, one thing I did think, and this is this is probably the strongest criticism I've got of the entire episode. Actually, mm. uh, that the, the final thing, the final thing that the doctor. Uh, resorted to in order to make his point to Kazran mm. was to show him uh, or sorry was to show the young Kazran how he turns out how fabulous was that it was it was good but had he done it to start with then we wouldn't have had to go through the previous 40 minutes well did it, did it, did it, the interesting th- oh I suppose but mind you who's learning from that who's learning from that because young Kazran by that point hasn't fallen in love with Abby and he's looking at old Kazran who's getting ready to sp- just getting ready to deal out retribution like the old man used to. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So who's learning from that? Ah, right. Doctor Who fan brain is kicking in, and I'm thinking there's a word. <laughs> there are three words which I'm thinking must have flashed across every old school fan's mind as the as the young Kazran and old Kazran embraced. Do you those three words were James? Blinovich limitation effect. Right now, so we really need Trevor for this. 
But, uh, but, but the question to me is, how far should canon get in the way of a good story? Oh, it shouldn't. It absolutely shouldn't. And not only that, if it should have done, Tom, then it should have done when Amy met herself in Big Bang and Pandorica Opens or the end of Series 5, whichever episode that was. And I think that um, Luke has... uh, Luke of the Minute Doctor Who podcast has addressed established pieces of canon in the past and showed how they're just not relevant or they haven't been picked up on uh, in New Who. I mean, the latest example of his was the Doctor and Time Lords in general being able to mimic other people's voices. Mm. Um, you know, the, he cited the Master. Anyway, I, I won't go through that, but take a look at it. It's a very good video podcast. And I think this is just perhaps another example. You know, it was established in the past that the Blinovich limitation effect prevented a particular character meeting themselves without there being a large bang, a la Mordor and Undead. Exactly so. Yeah. But that hasn't been carried forward. And do you know what? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. We need the third musketeer for this. Because (laughs) um, it's one of those things. Of all the reaction that I've watched, and the the best reaction I've seen so far is that 10.7 million people watched it in the middle of uh, a midwinter festival. Um, The the most complaints seem to be coming from men of our age complaining that it does away with a certain amount of of, uh, established Doctor Who lore. No, I agree. And I think if had we had Trev here, then I think he would have to stick his fingers in his ears, hum, and go to his happy place. Because I think he's he's one individual who I think it might possibly irk. But yes, I mean, Mr. Gench will be back on the next DWP. I'm looking forward um, to it. I'm so looking forward to this one. Me too, me too, yeah. Right, well, uh, rather than monopolising the podcast, we have some MP3 feedback from Simon from the Waffle On podcast. Hello, Simon. Come out of the box and speak. (laughs) Hi there, chaps in the camper van. This is Meds from Waffle On podcast, and this is my under two-minute MP3, or MP4A, whatever it is. I'm recording this on my iPhone. Um, Regarding the Christmas special of Doctor Who, I've just finished watching it. And I have to say, I thought it was brilliant. We've been let down so many times with the Christmas specials with Doctor Who. Um, this one had a lot to live up for. And I know, James, you said that um, this was the biggest thing you were looking forward to over Christmas. Um, I thought everything was fantastic about it. Great story, nice take on the whole premise of A Christmas Carol. Michael Gambon was just brilliant. But what you know? did we expect anything else from the man? He's a legendary actor. Matt Smith just keeps on getting better and better as the Doctor. And, uh, you know, if if this is the quality we've got, man, I cannot wait uh, for, for Matt Smith's second season. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. So, uh, Catherine Jenkins, oh, what a voice anyway, but uh, brilliant. A nice little um, small role for her, but uh, ideal. Okay, the companions uh, didn't really do much in it, but they didn't really need to. I just thought it was brilliant. It was an hour of absolute classic Christmas enjoyment. And uh, I hope uh, I hope everyone else agrees. Uh, can't wait for 2011 and more of the Doctor Who podcast. Keep it up, guys, and I'll speak to you soon. Wonderful, yeah. And it, it's great to hear someone's opinion mm. of uh, an episode of Doctor Who minutes after its broadcast and I think Simon had um, had recorded that very very shortly after just watching it so fantastic and thank you thank you Simon as you say for keeping under two minutes wonderful mm. uh, we've also received another piece of feedback this time from another Simon actually not the same Simon it's a chap who calls himself Scaroth on the 
on the forum got some um, feedback in really quick off the mark and says, beautiful story, beautifully produced, mm. top-notch script, some of Matt Smith's dialogue was hilarious, which I would agree. Yeah. Tom Baker would have loved a script like this to work with. And again, I think we've talked about this a little bit already, Tom, but mm. um, Tom Baker in this particular episode, I think it would have sent it completely bonkers, but yeah. um, I could still see him saying a lot of Matt Smith's lines. Anyway, Simon continues, Speaking of Mr. Matt Smith, I am running out of superlatives. He is fast becoming my favourite Doctor already. <laughs> if you didn't enjoy this episode, you are just wrong. Sorry, but you are. And uh, yeah, great bit of feedback there, Simon. And I tend to agree with your sentiments, certainly. interested to hear what you thought of the uh, trailer for season six. Oh yes indeed um, now I've only seen it on one occasion and I have to admit I didn't pay a great deal of attention so I'll just go through the things that I did notice mm. and perhaps mm. you can elaborate on, on the things that I've um, I've missed. Sure. Right Matt Smith with an Anthony Ainley beard Yes, Look, well that's kind of interesting isn't it because there's, the, um, there's a reference to The Prisoner mm, perhaps, he's gonna, know. perhaps he's going to start not an, an alt rock band <laughs> 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 well, I think perhaps maybe he enjoyed his Wembley Arena moment a little bit too much at Stonehenge, and you never know, you could well be right there. Um, the other things that I noticed was World War Two Nazis, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Now, I can only assume that might be Mark Gatiss's scripts, because I know that he had a World War Two story that was bumped in one of the previous seasons, and I... Can't remember why. It was nothing to do with the script, allegedly. It was to do with another story being very similar to it. Okay. Well, like Victory of the Daleks, maybe. <laughs> Quite possibly. That was it. Yes. It do you know, I wonder why that particular episode had just kind of fallen out my head. Mm. But, um, yes, maybe you're right. And also given that he wrote that one, too. Quite, quite <laughs> you quite. don't know. Well, okay, you're right. There were, there were musketeers. There were Nazis. There were uh, references to Stetsons. There were river, there was river oh, songs. Yes. Uh, yes. There were a river song looking quite formidable in a, with a six-shooter and a torch. Um, there was yeah. a brief flash of the time machine that we saw the first time round in The Lodger as well. Uh, so ah. I think what we've got with this part of season six is a more involved arc. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I, I was incredibly excited, as I am... At every point when there's going to be a new Doctor Who series, you know, within a few months. And mm. sometimes I feel a little bit let down and sometimes I feel, you know, as if I'm watching a brand new programme. And I have to say, I felt as though I was watching a brand new programme um, last last time, you know, when season five was just about to air. And that took a little while for me to get used to. But I am well and truly in stride with Stephen Moffat's uh, version of Doctor Who now, and um, I'm I've long accepted Matt Smith as the eleventh Doctor. So yeah, I'm I'm in a good place at the moment. So right. we'll we'll have to see what happens. All right, um, I, I'm I'm trying to think what Trevor might have to say about this. And Trevor, you've got to know, I'm dying to hear what you think about this. Um, mm. But I've got to ask, look, there, there there's a there's a school of thought uh, amongst specific fans and a specific group of fandom that says that Doctor Who, in its truest form, ended. In 1969, uh, at, at the end of the War Games, um, what I would say to you, the question I would ask you is: Is this still Doctor Who? Is this actually the still the show I fell in love with in 1977? Is this still Doctor Who? You asking me that question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was hoping you were asking the listeners because I don't know how to answer that quickly. Um, 
Uh, all right, I will answer it quickly. Yes and no. Well, okay. Um, does it still deserve, <laughs> does it still deserve to be considered as Doctor Who, or is it just some bizarre spin-off franchise with about a, about a man in a blue box? Is it is it is it is does it, is it even true to what Doctor Who ever was? Yes and no. Okay, why yes? <laughs> I think can, can we do that on another podcast? We might have to. It's a long question. <laughs> oh, it's it's a very long question, and um, you know, short of coming out with the obvious things, you know, blue box, same character, etc., mm. different production methods, and mm. um, different um, audience, different target audience. Mm. I can't come up with any more quick, compelling answers for for, for either camp. But um, I think what is absolutely beyond doubt is that Doctor Who fans, um, you know, absolute devotees of the show and casual viewers alike have not had it so good for a long, long period of time. If you do feel differently or you don't think that's the case or you think, well, you know, that David Tennant guy really was considerably better than Matt Smith and I'd like to hear from you. I'd be yeah. really interested to hear your point of view. Yeah. So as always, we, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, a brief MP3 or just... Do whatever it is that you do on your iPhone and send us your recording that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or drop us just a couple of sentences to feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.com. And we look forward to discussing some of your thoughts and opinions on how Doctor Who is, what current state it's in at this moment in time yeah. on a future Doctor Who podcast. Right, well, that was quite fun. As James rightly says, it'd be great to hear what everyone else thought of the Christmas special. The next thing I know that we're going to be sending out will be quiz number six, which has got some shocking Ooh. results. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. It must. But be we're so. not giving anything away there, are we? No, not even in the slightest, but it was completely unfair and totally shocking. <laughs> Aside from that, we've got next week's episode, which will hopefully contain the opinions of the one, the only, the living... Trevor Gensch uh, about the Christmas special which I'm really looking forward to hearing actually Absolutely and we'll intersperse that certainly because I think it will be more of a monologue or a tirade that's my prediction anyway (laughs) Trev Uh, but we'll intersperse that with uh, the feedback we receive from you so do remember to get your feedback to us Absolutely right okay so what can I say Um, the credits are rolling I'd like to paraphrase Mr. I'd love to paraphrase Mr. William Hartnell and say, do you know, a Merry Christmas to all of you out there. And by the time you hear this, hopefully you'll be gearing up for the new year. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Time really does spin on, doesn't it? So cool. been a great year. Well, great first year for the Doctor Who podcast. And wow. uh, we look forward to speaking to you next year. We don't know what we're going to be talking about just yet because that would involve planning and Trevor does the planning we don't do any we don't know what we're going to be talking about from minute to minute what's, where's the big revelation there oh, there you go <laughs> ladies and gentlemen look, I, I do have to say a big thank you to all of our listeners through 2010 it's ah, it, oh, it's been fantastic it's lovely to know that there's so many people tuning in and downloading you crazy people but yes it is <laughs> So what can can we say? Take care, have a great holiday, and we'll see you on the other side. Bye for now. Bye-bye for now, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Where's the bottle? That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, 
Facebook and via the Doctor Who podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care.